I'm Ron Zisco, and welcome back to Focus. Um, wow, uh, you know, I've I've been kind of on a journey, and uh, and I guess every content creator at some point has to make that where the hell I've been, video or or podcast or apology or whatever. But uh, but I've been on quite a journey, and I and I'll kind of tell you where this started. Um, obviously, I thought I was returning uh, February 2020, and. Uh, Wow, you know, like, wow. I thought I was coming back in February 2020, and uh, the world really got to me. And and I thought about um, evil came up a lot. We were just kind of starting to grapple with the pandemic, and um, and I think we, you know, we're all kind of tired of that. But but at that point, I was I was becoming very concerned with people's priorities and um and what it means to be a, a human being and a decent human being at that um and and i i, I um i kind of went off the deep end i record i recorded a lot of first episodes um back in uh i think my studies on what i believed were would was would be the definition of good and evil back then um had concluded probably somewhere in may and that's when I started um, recording episodes. And we're not going to do it because I, I don't actually need to talk about it anymore. Um, I've decided on a uh, definition that works for me. I don't need to change your mind if you want to hear about it. Um, yeah, we can talk about it sometime. But but that, that realm is its own world. Um, it's what stopped me every time was always something new something um that burned my heart something that just felt deep outrage we're in the midst of the the lead up to the election and the whole world is on fire uh australia especially and hate and uh hate crimes are on the rise again and uh the the election was a mess and you know everything that comes along with that and insurrections and um, and here we are, a year removed from that, even, and it feels like we've made no progress at all. So, uh, it was right around May last year, where um, I'd probably recorded my sixth or seventh retry at the first episode, and and uh, I went on for a hike for with uh, with my partner and uh, and a friend we'd met up with, you know just trying to survive so we went on an outdoor hike a nice safe activity that you could do with friends in COVID we were still wearing masks all the things but um, but I hurt myself I pushed myself a little too hard um, wearing a big camera bag you know I got my DSLR and I was carrying another camera some audio equipment a drone you know I just I, I went too far I went too far and I um I really hurt myself and it was so bad that our next stop after that stop was in Coos Bay Oregon and I couldn't leave our RV maybe maybe once I made it down to the beach in uh, in 10 days that we stayed there and uh, and it got worse it got so bad that I I went to the hospital I actually got somebody to check me out and um, 
we started scheduling tests. We started making doctor's appointments. We had a couple of cancer scares and, and other things like that because blood tests came back kind of weird. Allergies, actually. Turns out they're kind of similar, I guess. And and the MRIs came back clear. And the doctors were like, you know, there's, there's really, you know, there are things wrong. There are... Um, there are some some anomalies here, but honestly, um, any other man could walk in here and be perfectly fine and have your your results. So, um, you know, try physical therapy and and all that, and uh, and I did. And when the minute I tried physical therapy, it just it went so much worse. The pain was so much worse, and um, and I suffered. I really suffered. There were videos. It's it's. Um, I say it's unpleasant. It's, it's really unpleasant. It's truly unpleasant to watch. Uh, nobody wants to watch a video of themselves suffering, but um, it was one of the first times in my life that I truly feel in, uh, felt sorry for myself. And, um, oh, you know, that's, um, that's a tough memory. Um, and that was, that was becoming daily. That would, that was becoming something that would happen daily. And, uh, and I was just looking for any kind of help. Um, I smoke a lot of marijuana now. That helps with the pain. But um, but as, as I continued to look for some sort of solution, um, nothing nothing was nothing was fixing anything. And it, and it became distressing. Like I I found this great general practitioner, and he's. Um, you know, so engaged and caring and, 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 you know, he's really trying to do everything he could for me. Um, and my partner is just amazing human being who knowing that I was suffering and that I was trying not to allow myself to taint my own test results by doing too much research. I'm not a doctor. What am I going to, what am I going to come up with? But, um, but she did research and, and she said, you know, maybe, Maybe we should talk about neuroplastic pain. And, um, and I, you know, I have an aversion to that. Oh, it's all in my head. So I just need to get over it. Right. That's, that's what it comes down to. And that's what we always tell everybody is just to get over it. Um, and this kind of coincides with this whole obsession that I had with, uh, with good and evil. And, um, you know, I became very attack, like I'm attack heavy, just kind of in general, um, as a person, um, and that'll be important later, but on Twitter, I was, you know, politically, I just, I, it's, it was starting to eat away at me that people just didn't care. And, uh, you know, that, I'm, I can't say I'm proud of that yet. I was, but man, I, you know, you just needed to say something. And, uh, and in the meantime, I was suffering, just suffering. And I, uh, I spoke to this therapist. Her name is Jamie. She's amazing. Just a, like an incredible person. Um, but also, you know, really, really wanted to sit down, was engaged enough, cared enough about me as a human being um, to say like, okay, we, we can break through this. And I didn't know what she was signing up for. I thought, I thought I was fine. I thought mentally there was nothing wrong with me. I was... I
but part of me was really, I don't know, unwilling to acknowledge reality. Um, Jamie saw right through me, and uh, and that's that's something that just like can blow your mind later that somebody can see right through you, and you can know exactly what you are, but not be able to acknowledge the truth of what's going on. Um, I know I know myself to be an immaculate liar, and I uh, I always thought that I did so sarcastically because of my parents. Um, but no, it's it's actually because my parents trained me to be an immaculate liar. You can interpret your memories a certain way, but deep down, your psyche knows what's right and what's wrong. And that mismatch, if you don't deal with those emotions, can cause some pretty big problems. And that's that's what my brain was doing to me, is, is doing to me. I am. Uh, I suffer from a lot of childhood trauma and it's tough to say that out loud because my parents trained me to think that they did a great job or at the very least the best they could. And for the longest time I thought that was true. And so I just thought it was true. But the the truth is that wasn't the truth. That's the furthest from the truth. Um, and that was hard to deal with. And because of how, how wrong that was, I did like a lot of people did, and I um, would start intercepting my emotions. Some people would act out, and I just, I just took it all inwardly. Um, and that's because of, you know, violence I, I endured as a child. Things that my, my dad were proud of later he would he would tell strangers stories about how great a parent he is because he's willing to hit his kid i didn't know that that made me defenseless i didn't know that that meant i uh i i meant that i uh i didn't have a place to be safe um the other thing that you don't know about me is that my mother is schizophrenic um it feels weird to kind of put that out there and I don't I don't know what that means in in the grand scheme of things about like revealing people's medical identities um but it's part of my story too and what I didn't know about that was that my mother was completely disengaged and I I don't I forgive her for that now it took me some time I thought I'd forgiven her before but I just told myself it wasn't a problem. Um, I was born with some medical conditions. I was jaundiced, uh, but it was severe enough that I had to stay in the hospital for a few months. And so I imagine that the postpartum depression was intense. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, from then and, and the underlying mental conditions, um, I, I didn't get any affection at all. And in fact, the lack thereof. Um, quite a bit of physical abuse. My, my mother would slap me a lot more than my father did because my father thought of himself as some sort of disciplinarian, but my mother really only reacted to anger. And I'm dumping all this on you because I think it's important to share those things. I think that the reason I am 
in as much pain as I am now, 24 hours a day, is because I've always been ignoring the fact that I've been in pain almost every day I can remember. I've been in, in some form suffering almost every day I can remember. And, uh, and the pain starts in a very specific place in my back. It's a, a place that I've felt pain every day for my entire life since I think about eight years old. We went to some park. Um, it was one of the few times that my dad had time to, to engage with us as kids. He was usually working. We were very poor. Um, and he took us to the park and, uh, and let us play around. And there was this like, uh, chain rope bridge with, you know, two ropes on up top so that you could use it with your hands. And then the single rope in the middle that you're supposed to walk across. And I, uh, was a little wet and I, I slipped off and I just, um, you know, I did like a backbreaker across that lost my breath. I thought I was going to die. It was, I was eight years old and it's the first time I thought I was going to die. I was encountering my own mortality and it's the only time I remember my father doing anything nice for me. You know, there's always economic things and like whatever, a car, but from, from affection, from, from just like affection that's it and so I've always had back pain because probably I've always needed that and that's um that's not something I should be ashamed of I didn't fail I um I survived that and it shouldn't torture me but it does because the effects that that you you leave on your children are are so so far ahead and who your child becomes is is completely out of everyone's hands and in most cases it's out of your child's hands i'm not ashamed to admit that i am emotionally underdeveloped because of that because of my experiences as a child because of because of the physical violence, because of what I learned about my parents' moods and how they dealt with each other, I compartmentalize hard, harder than most people do. I can put everything in a box. I had not experienced a real emotion um, directly for a long time uh, because I always saved them you know, I would spend the time to intercept them to make sure that they were safe for me. And I would put them in a box for later. I would go experience this at a later time when I knew it was safe. And usually that time never came. Until much, much later. When you're a teenager and you start trying to get time alone and try to feel things. And you start opening those boxes. And because you don't learn how to sort, as time goes on, you've, you've never experienced these emotions. You're just, you're just holding on to them. They're sorted wrong. When you were a kid, it was sad and happy. 
you know, when you were a baby, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm lonely, I'm hungry. When you were a little bit older, I love this, I hate this, this is great, this is bad, this is fun, this is boring. When you're a little bit older, I'm sad because I miss something. I'm sad because I should have done better. I'm sad because the day was cloudy. And the different levels of sadness would mean different things. And I wasn't getting any of that. It's just sad. And because of that, you know, morose and ecstatic and all of the crossovers for the different emotions, they were all buried together in these wrongly and poorly sorted boxes. And every time they got opened for any reason, there was anger under under everything that I've ever done, under every emotion I've ever experienced, um, there was anger. And it, it starts from actually the first person to abuse me uh, was the caretaker that my uh, parents took me to because they were both working full-time jobs. And, uh, and this person wasn't a licensed daycare professional, of course, but they couldn't afford one because they were poor. And, and, um, and this person was abusive. The, the story they told me was that this person was taking care of me and, uh, and they noticed one day that I'd spilled my, my juice bottle and they never would punish me for that. They said, um, but then my caretaker, uh, after, you know, having been with that person for, um, a couple of months had, uh, changed that behavior. And I began crying hysterically because I guess they understood that it had had something to do with that. And then they did nothing. They didn't report it to the police. Um, they, they didn't do anything. And, uh, and they held it over me for the rest of my life. What a great parent I was getting you out of that situation. No, we didn't do anything to make sure it didn't happen to anyone else. But, um... But also, we were even more poor because of that. Because your mother had to stay home. So that was your fault. And that was... Everything. In my life. And I had great moments. I had happy moments later things that were entertaining um and mostly just things that would distract me from opening any of those boxes later i'm the king of distraction and uh, i'm so so thankful for jamie for sticking through with me um because what what she knew she was signing up for what i didn't know she was signing up for is I am a person who is depressed and I didn't know that because I was hiding so hard from that, that I wasn't feeling anything. I, um, I didn't know she was signing up to, um, I didn't know she was signing up to help somebody for years. Somebody she knew would, would, would avoid this every, every fiber of his being for years. She 
she signed up for that. So I'm thankful. But um, but if we're being honest, I wouldn't have survived this for years where I was. Um, I was suffering every moment of every day. And um, and so we tried something experimental. We, um, we looked into ketamine therapy. And so I've begun ther- ketamine therapy. Um, for those of you who don't know, ketamine... Uh, is better known as a horse tranquilizer, but it has been experimented with in uh, the last few decades for um, therapy-resistant depression and um, other types of post-traumatic stress. Um, and addiction. Because uh, because a lot of us chase addictions. And I I was the same way. I'm addicted to anger because I don't know how to express myself properly. Unfortunately, um, I also have an incredible sense of empathy, so I could never turn it at, and on anyone, and uh, and so I just tortured myself. And that's that's my story. I've um, I've gotten to the point where I can't walk. I'm uh, I'm trying to work on it. I'm going to get back in physical therapy. That's that's how we knew we needed to do something. And uh, and I still can't walk. But I am working with this other incredible therapist. Um, so I'm that guy who does two therapists and I'm endlessly thankful. I can't I can't say anything about that world at all, except that both of those therapists are uh, incredible people. Um, and and they both see straight through me in a way that I never really thought I even existed. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't aware of the planes of consciousness I was ignoring, you know? And, um, and I'm not saying that from a ketamine perspective. I mean, like, just emotionally. If you, if you're trauma, traumatized by something, if you, if you have some sort of PTSD, like, by definition, you're back in that moment. And it's because emotionally we never grow past a certain point if we don't allow ourselves to feel those emotions. And so every time I was in a situation like that, some trigger situation that, that brought that anger up that I had towards my parents, it, um, it happened one day that I was having a conversation with my father about something that he was disappointed in me with um, and that, that's a different deep seated thing where, you know, when I started to have a job, I became a little bit more, um, emotionally independent because my parents used a financial reward system for academic performance. Um, when I, uh, when I, I, I got lippy with my father and he slapped me across the face and, um, and I remember, I remember turning like I was going to hit him. Um, I, I had planned to slip to the right and, uh, and give him a right cross. Um, and I didn't because I was, I was worried that I was going to kill him. Um, because the, not that, you know, I'm so strong. No, I, I think if I had hit him, he probably would have hit his bed stand and, uh, and I would have killed him. Um, so I held on to that and he saw that. He saw that and... Uh, 
and he beat me with his belt and um and i took it silently because that's what was expected and and that's what i do i take it silently not not the you know not the the big things i i still confront people about things i'm i've got a big mouth but um but the little things you should have done that better of course you dropped that fork you idiot only a stupid person like you could dro- uh, drop two cans of soda on two different keyboards in one year those are the thoughts that clouded my mind why would you record that podcast episode? Nobody's going to listen to it. You're stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. And the truth was, I didn't. But I was trying. And I'm proud of that. I, I think I do this podcast more because I was exploring who I was. My, um... My ketamine therapist thinks this is a good place for me to be. And he's a smart guy. It's a good place for me to express myself. To be authentic. And so that's what I'm trying to do is be authentic. Which is why this is one long rambling podcast where I ugly cried through a couple of pieces of it. I'm still on this journey. I'm still trying to get better. And I'm still struggling against myself. If there's one thing that I've received from this, it's an appreciation of what we all go through. I had turned myself off. I was barely a human being anymore. I, um... I didn't care. I'm dead. I couldn't help anyone. I wanted so much to do anything, and I just... I didn't feel like I could, because who would want my help? I was a failure. And every day that compounded that was just another proof that, that I was right. And, um, and it's actually the opposite. Every day is a new opportunity to, to do a, 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 a service, to, to change something for yourself, to, uh, to, to listen even, to give yourself a, a good pat on the back, to to think, to achieve, to dream. We have all given up such a large part of ourselves. And some of us have had that taken from us and some of us have given it up because we thought that that's what was safest. And, um, and some of us self-medicate. And I am so thankful to be endowed with the resources to to pursue a a professional environment where I can learn these lessons. Because in 
uh, five sessions. In five sessions, I've learned so much about myself and about what has been missing from my life emotionally. And it's been a roller coaster. It's been hard work. It's been a lot of reckoning with who you are as a person and what that means. But I'll, but I'll tell you what I've, I've gained, what I've gained in, um, in five sessions. In my first session, I, um, I understood, I understood that, um, that I was living three different lives, that, um, that there was this little part of me, my little inner child that constantly relived trauma and another part of me that was constantly sorting emotion and this other person who who I programmed on um, on every level to be who who um, who I thought you wanted me to be I'd, I'd sit there kind of reserved a little bit for just just a couple minutes, just a few lines. I needed to get your motion, your rhythm. wanted to know the sound of your voice. What do you like? What do you react to? And I'd be that person that, that could entertain you. That, that's, that's my skill. That's what empathy got me. Is um, Empathy got me the ability to see ahead to see if I could avoid the trauma. And, um, no. No, I couldn't. On my, on my second session, on my second session, I realized that, that it was me. That I, I had taken on everything. And because I've always been told just suck it up. Suffer in silence. Because I have my father's voice telling me that it's not worth doing. Someone's going to do better than you. And, and as a side effect of ketamine, um, your self-judgment center, that, that part of your brain that, that tells you you're awful it turns off for a bit. It's like clearing a, a labyrinth and you get this chance to rewrite your pathways. And if you're lucky enough to have the chance to, a person who sits across from you can ask you some really simple questions. And, and when I realized what I'd been doing to myself and that it was possible for me to make some changes I had hope for the first time in months I um, I felt like there was a chance for um, for me to come out of this without without crippling pain at least maintainable pain and um, 
and for the first time in, in maybe my life, I, uh, I, I stopped suffering and the pain was just pain. It's something that I've dealt with for such a long time and for the suffering to be gone, that meant the pain, the pain was nothing. I, I felt amazing. By the third session, I didn't know what lessons I was learning. But what was clear is I didn't know how to communicate with myself. I, um, what, what you would know about ketamine is that you should set an intention because for most of us, um, I guess about 20% of us don't feel anything at all or gain any effects. But, um, for more than half of the rest of us, um, there will be some sort of hallucinogenic, um, vision or experience and, uh, and a lot like a dream, it puts your concerns at the forefront because the things that you're bothering you are no longer things that you should be ashamed of. And, um, and that's the lesson I learned in the third, my third experience is that shame had affected me so greatly. It's pervasive and, uh, and we all do it. Shame. It's the thing that causes you to take six selfies instead of one. It's the thing that forces you to choose not to have that tough conversation or to shame yourself out of eating a bag of potato chips or to talk yourself out of doing anything you think you deserve. That's shame. Why do you deserve that? Somebody else could have it. I, I felt that way about medical care. When we started, when I, when I started that pain, I, I didn't feel like I deserved treatment because other people needed help. And because that's how I've been taught all my life. That's where I was on the priority. It's, um, it's a hard lesson to learn that, that you can take care of yourself and still be capable of helping others, that it's not selfish to, to make sure you're okay because so many of us will shame other people for doing the same. Um, in my fourth lesson, in my fourth, fourth experience, I, um, I, I wanted clarity. I wanted some sort of message. I wanted a fix. I wanted to know what was wrong. And so, um, my intention that I had set was to, uh, to break through energetically and here's, here's what's kind of tough about these things. Your, your brain can give you a lot of things to, um, to ruminate on, but sometimes the message is, is direct and easy. And sometimes you want to read past it. You can interpret things any number of ways. And 
it is my whole personality to listen to something and to imagine all of the different scenarios in which something can be applied applied so I can understand your intention so I can know whether or not you're a threat that is my whole personality that was my whole personality I'm trying to change it but but because of that because of that relationship with with words and intention how was I ever really communicating and the answer is I never was to the point where I no longer could communicate with myself I didn't know what things meant because I couldn't interpret them for myself anymore because I always was obsessed with making sure that we could have a call and response something I was missing from my mother something I wrote a book about in second grade I like telling this story um, in second grade I had this teacher we we were a really poor school and uh, and this this particular class was a hybrid second and third grade class we didn't have enough space and enough teachers and whatever and we had to make this um this children's book for the second grade class and um, and I wrote about um, I wrote this book about how I uh, I did something stupid on my bike um, and, and it was it was you know one of those silly kid things that you do when you test your own limits and mortality and and all that it's you know it's kid things and uh, I rolled down this hill on my bicycle as fast as I could and then I tried to do the like skid out break thing hit a patch of gravel which is an ongoing theme in my life and uh, and I, I took all the skin off of one of my legs and I um, I remember because I had already had a bike stolen I uh, picked up my bicycle and I cried you know all the way picking up my bicycle and locked it up underneath uh, because we had a little bike lock thing down there because of my previously stolen but uh, we locked it up underneath the porch of the apartment complex that we were living in and um, I <clears throat> hit the little buzzer to let myself in because there was a code on that building which no longer exists but the code was 99551 all the numbers there had been rubbed off and so two and the 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 two what is it two three and uh, six seven buttons were were rubbed off and not rubbed off they were they were perfectly fine excuse me and uh, and I remember crying and trot, trotting all the way up the stairs and going up the stairs and thinking, oh, no, I'm going to have to go get um, rubbing alcohol on my wound and it's going to suck and it's going to be so much pain and whatever. And I, um, and I came upstairs and I'm crying and my mom's like, what's wrong? And I said, I, I, I hurt myself, mom. I just get all my skin off of my leg. And she said, that's nice, honey. And she went back to to uh, watching television and uh and i had to go into the bathroom and you know i took my pants off and i put one leg in the bathtub and i just poured rubbing alcohol over it until it stopped hurting anymore and um and then i covered it in a bandage and and i wrote that book 
that was the story I remember. And that's the story I wrote in the book. And um, my teacher rightfully presented it to my parents at parent-teacher conferences. conferences, And they were so ashamed. Uh, My mother um, looked at me, you know, while she was reading this book to my parents. um, And uh, she gave me that look like you're, you know, you're in deep shit now. And, uh, and I remember the conversation on the way back home and it wasn't why, you know, I'm sorry you felt ignored. It wasn't, you know, I can't believe that this happened. I'm so sorry. It wasn't any of those things. It was, how could you write something like that? How could you let anybody know what's going on in our house? And that was the lesson. And that's what I learned. That's what I learned that you, uh, you take it in silence um, I don't know if anybody watched that uh, documentary, Class Action Park, that came out. Um, I've I've been to Action Park and uh, once, and um, and I had two different bad experiences there. Um, one worse than another, but you know we'll get to that. Um, but I but we started Class Action Park off the right way with you know all of the really good dangerous rides. Uh, including that uh, massive plastic slide with those um, little cart, plastic cart things that the brakes didn't really work. You were supposed to like pull up on the little levers on the side. And I went too fast and um, and it was like a bobsled uh, thing. I'm really lucky that I didn't fall out and die because we were like 25 feet up off the uh, ground at that point. And, um, and I rolled over and I... Um, I ended up skidding my arm and I still have, I still have the scar from that. I, I skid my arm on the plastic slide and I, um, I had to, I didn't have to, I chose to hide that. I wore, it was, we were in New Jersey. That action park was in New Jersey. It was like 90 degrees that day. Um, and I decided to, uh, to put my windbreaker cause I had a windbreaker, uh, tied around my waist cause it was the nineties and, um, or late eighties, somewhere in there. And, uh, and I put my windbreaker back on so that nobody would know I was injured because I didn't, I didn't want to be the reason we stopped. I didn't want to be the reason that everybody had to go home because we were going to go to the water park next. And so, yeah, with my stupid Uzi, um, wound I, I got into that wave pool in the water park and uh, and I almost died and I almost died I, uh, I got sucked under and uh, and I thought I was gonna drown and nobody came to save me you know um, but I, I managed to get out from uh, the water and I got out and uh, and and I just I was done with the park that day and I just let everybody else have fun and I went and changed and got back in my windbreaker and it was 90 degrees and I baked my windbreaker onto my wound. And when I got home, I took it off and it was like taking it all off again. And I did that because, um, because I didn't want to ruin anybody's time because I was told that you, uh, you take care of it yourself and you don't tell anybody about it. Now I'm, I'm putting these things out in the ether because I, I want to feel like I can express that. I'm trying everything I can. Um, 
what I've discovered in the last couple of days is that I have been angry for such a long time that I don't I don't know how to deal with it. It's a very primal anger, um, which makes me sound like, you know, a fictional version of the Hulk, or I suppose like a, a knockoff version of the Hulk, uh, except instead of getting big and green and mean and, and awesome, I cripple myself. I, um, I associate violence with anger. In my head, violence and anger go side by side because when my parents were disappointed because I didn't learn nuance, it was just that they were angry. And that's when I was being punished. And for me, anger is violence. And, um, and I know that. I can say that to you. That that's wrong. That's an incorrect interpretation. But I also... Um, I don't have that relationship with anger. I don't, I don't know that I'm feeling it in the moment. I know that I'm addicted, addicted to finding ways to express it. And that was Twitter for a while. And, um, and it still is a little bit, but that's a different story. It's... It's my anger. I feel it now. I'll describe this to you. It starts... It starts in my my heart. Just behind my heart. And my back. And it begins to burn. I'm angry with myself. I can feel that. My, um... My muscles in my back begin to lock up harder than they were before. My back is in pretty much 24-hour spasm now. But, um, but in this case, um, when, I, when I begin to feel triggered, and you can make fun of me for that if you want, but I'm having an honest conversation with you, so I would hope that you could be respectful. But when I feel a trigger, and uh, lately financials has been a big one, um because of my inability to sort those things properly. It makes me angry. And I become afraid of that because to me, anger is violence. And I abhor violence, except when I'm brought to it and then it's swift and regrettable. I've never hit another person out of anger. I've never hit a partner. Um, I've never hit an animal. And I've never found a way to express that correctly. Today, my partner took me to a VR arcade. Even though we have a couple of VR headsets, I don't really have the space to use them. Um, but she thought that shooting would help me. And... Um, and no, actually, you know, even if we'd gone with any of my pistols to a, a real shooting range, that's my happy place. That's zen. There's no violence in that for me because I'm, I'm shooting at targets 
It's cardboard or paper or little round steel plates are my favorite ones. I've found a way to normalize all kinds of anger-related activities because I'm embarrassed of who I am. I've, um, I've had a reputation with my friends and um, colleagues that, that um, revolved around how patient I am with other people. And that's because I always stuffed anger. I, I fear expressing it. And because of that, in my last couple ketamine sessions, despite the fact that I am still learning lessons from what happened, uh, I, I broke free of them. I break free of everyone, but, but I broke free of the last few. That last one especially. My doses keep getting higher because we're trying to keep me from doing that. And it's because even, even deep down, even in my own psyche, I am afraid. And that's... It's hard... It's hard to explain that to a person who doesn't have those experiences. And if you experience PTSD, I think you'll you'll be familiar with with what I'm exp- I'm expressing here. It's um It's not that I don't know. It's not that I I don't want to get past it. It's that I didn't, I didn't know that I could hide myself so well that even I wouldn't recognize me. So my, my ketamine therapist, he, um, he knew, he knew, I think, I mean, he, he made sure that I knew that, that he relates pretty hard to my situation. But he knew that I was full of shit. He knew that um, that I was hiding from myself, even when I didn't know. He knew that that something deep down was so shameful that I couldn't confront it, and I couldn't with him. Um, thankfully, I had a follow-up appointment with my other therapist, um, and I'm not saying that either is superior. It's just you know a matter of perspectives and. And objectives. My ketamine therapist was worried that I would stagnate because I was worried about stagnation. And my other therapist only saw the opportunity to really dig down on questions she'd been wanting to ask me because of the months of time that we'd spend talking before. The little bits and pieces and nuggets that she'd been collecting. And I thank her so much for that. The, um, the questions were not, they weren't easy to answer, but they weren't, they weren't super invasive. It, it just kind of reminds you that, that something is, is wrong. And, and then it takes you somewhere. 
you can you can dig down you can ask real questions and because of the effects of the medicine you can approach those with distance and um and that's when i realized a lot about what was going on and even then um I didn't have a full grip on what was going on. Even then, I didn't know 100%. And I still don't. So here's what I've realized about therapy that I did wrong. And, um, and I mean this when I say I did wrong. I'm not taking it the hard way. But there is a wrong way to go about therapy. I looked at my process as a simple break fix because I've fixed computers all my life because I've been that person because I prefer to take the emotion to take the human out of the um, the diagnostic situation and I, uh, I applied that to me and I apply that to a lot of things so so here's the thing. You don't go to therapy because you're broken. You don't go to therapy to get some fix. You go to therapy to learn why you are who you are. And you go to therapy to learn how to develop the tools to grow. So if you look at therapy as this really easy thing that I just need to get right through, you have wasted your time. And, uh, and that's harsh, but it's, it's true. And here's the thing. There's a difference between um, truth and, um, and self-hate. And the difference is judgment. Now, if I were if I were a therapist, and and I'm not, um, I would probably find a nicer way of of wording that that you have wasted your time, but but that's what you're doing, and um, and that's what I was doing. I was giving my therapist a run, a run around, and um, and there was a time when I would have been embarrassed about that because of my own sense of shame, especially regarding like money being spent on me. I, I know that there has been a lot of growth there just because I can talk about this without beating myself up for it. What I can say is that I was running away from it. And that is a waste of time. But I, I wasn't... I wasn't able to face that. And that's not my fault. That's who I was programmed to be. And it's not who I am. And that's why... That's why I feel this much pain. Every moment of every day of my life is in conflict with, with who I am. Now, um, now, a lot of people will try to tell you that that you should just suck it up. A lot of people would tell you that working on yourself is masturbation. It's, um, it's unfortunate that we have that relationship with it. 
it's unfortunate we we would choose to embarrass someone with trying to take care of themselves and that other people will go along with it it's embarrassing that we are that way where's the humanity in that where's where is the humanity in saying oh you're suffering well why don't you shut up we're all suffering we spend so much time and energy on suffering that we avoid doing anything and it, it doesn't make sense. And the problem that I had was that I was spending so much time avoiding feeling anything that I couldn't feel anything. We only have a, a finite amount of time and energy and, and it's, it's more apparent than ever that that time is being spent the wrong way. We need to find ourselves. We need to, to understand what it means to be whoever it is that you are. And now, now I know for my sixth session coming up, I know that what I'm looking for is is achievable i know that what i want isn't a quick fix but to be a whole person and what i'm ready for is to rediscover who i am and how to deal with all of those things and i shouldn't feel guilty about that and because I don't, I'm sharing that with you. So here we are, an hour in um, what I thought would be a 25-minute podcast. Uh, what, what should probably be clear is that I should begin to script these things. I know there were a lot of awkward pauses here, but, but I wanted to speak from my heart. I wanted you to hear how interpolated it sounds because I'm still working on being able to express myself. I'm getting there. And I'm back. And I'm great, grateful, so grateful to have that chance. And I am going to share that journey with you. Um, bits and pieces. And the whole of it. And I want to do that here because, uh, because I've run out of, I've run out of the ability to talk about empathy and now I just want to express it. So this is my podcast. This is Focus. I'm Ron Sisko. And I look forward to showing you my heart and, um, and I'm going to go discover who I am. And maybe, maybe we can do that together. And, uh, and if you were feeling ashamed, if you were feeling scared, maybe you can come along. Thanks for listening.